Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I'm 40. I was a pirate yard. <laughs> you were a pirate yard? I was a pirate yard. What's a pirate yard? I was a pirate yard. <laughs> it's like, I was a pirate yo. Like, uh. I was a pirate sucker. Sucker. <laughs> I wow. was a pirate bitch. <laughs> you're you're really down with the wiggity whack lingo. I am wiggity whack whack. Um <laughs> that is very true. I literally said that today on stage during Bravo Cabaret. I turned to Michael. I was like, ooh, chess. It's like the hippity hop. I love the hippity hop hop. <laughs> and he just started laughing. He's, every day I, I I try to just make him giggle and I've so far I'm about fifty fifty. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Considering I've only had like eight shows. So, yeah. you know, I think it's good. That's a good run. But yeah, I had a birthday, uh, y'all, and it was lovely. Um, and uh, we rented a boat in Bermuda and like I dressed like a pirate and people dressed like pirates and we uh, we had a good old time. Yeah, it was it was pretty lovely. Yeah. It's Ken's last day on the boat. Which is less lovely. But uh, but we're, we are making the, the best of a... Um, Oh, it's sad to be leaving situation. Yeah, but I'll be here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'll be here. And uh, as much as I love Ken, and I do very much, this is a tiny room. (laughs) It's it's a small room. We're squeezed into not a ton of space. We're squeezed into about 100, not even. 100, that'd be nice. I think it's about 75 square feet. That's including the the king-size bed that's covering most of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think sixty five seventy square feet is probably yeah. about what what we got yeah. in here. Yeah. So we might as we could just move into a van and we'd be all set. We're- yeah. <laughs> we've but, lived in New York apartments. It's pretty much the same thing. I mean, pretty close. We've never lived in one this small together. No, not no. together. No. I lived in the Strat. So did I. About but this it was much by room. myself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you had this much room in the Strat. Shit, I had a twin bed in the Strat that almost touched both sides of the room. Oh, my bed definitely touched both sides of the room, and I think it was a twin. Well, it didn't touch both sides. It was like it had you had like a little aisle to go into the uh, bathroom. Yeah. But like it was like it was yeah it was it was close. enough to walk in like down yes yeah. it was a it was a tiny tiny wee room um and I cause oh did you have a shared bathroom no I had a I had a Jack and Jill ah. Uh. So I had yeah. a shared bathroom. I didn't have, I, I, sh- yes, had I had community a shared bathrooms. bathroom on the floor. Oh yeah, yeah. Those were there too. But I happened to have one of the rooms that had a bathroom in between two rooms. Yeah. No, I didn't have that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It was, it was. It's okay. The year before I shared a r- bathroom with an entire floor. And so, um, and only about half the people on that floor were from AMDA. Yep. So there was some weird shit going on on that floor in those bathrooms. Yep. <laughs> Tell yeah. you right now. <laughs> yeah, I uh I had um flip-flops that I wore to take showers. Mhm. Because the shower was shared with everyone on the floor and I was on one of those community floors that oh, yeah. was half AMDA kids and half 
not. Ninth floor, room 911. Yeah. When I was uh, at the Amsterdam, I was on the floor when, like, one night I came home and this guy is definitely, I don't know if he was drunk or ODing. He was fine. I mean, I know he didn't die, but I definitely came home and he was just passed out on the floor in front of the bathroom. And I was like, Okay, I guess I'm going to use the bathroom on the fifth floor today instead of the fourth where I lived. (laughs) But that took a weird turn. (laughs) Hey, listener. What's the weirdest bathroom situation you've ever been in? Ew. (laughs) I thought you were going to say living situation, but yeah, I mean, bathroom, that's odd. I mean, we've we've been talking primarily about bathrooms. Yeah, yeah. So if if you had if you've ever shared a bathroom with strange people or you know yeah I guess share your bathroom stories you can email those directly to Ken <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know just email them to fifty fifty arts production at, at Heather Gino. Michelle Lawler a- at aol dot com aol dot com <laughs> sorry hotmail hotmail uh, actually um what was, what was the uh, there was another one that was like trash. I can't remember. Hotmail was pretty trash. Hotmail was pretty trash. AOL. I know um, people still with Hotmail, so I don't want to offend anybody out there. <laughs> I technically still have a Hotmail address. I don't know if I can log into it anymore, but I know it's still out there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was my first ever email address, DEC underscore zero eight at Hotmail. DEC? December, December 8th. 8th. It was the day I set up the email account. That's funny. That's Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Also, the day John Lennon was assassinated. Which but, I remember because I set up the email account because I was writing a paper on John Lennon being assassinated on the day he was assassinated. And that's the day you set up your email account and that's you're writing I, that paper? It's the, that's the day I set up the email account because I needed a way to get the research I had done at oh. school home so I could finish writing the paper. Oh, well, look at that. Yep. Look at that 90s, 90s yep. action. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, that would be late, mid, late 90s. It would have been the 90s. It yep. was the 90s sometime, yeah. Good times. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, we're old. <laughs> I don't remember what that paper was for. Probably like American history or like something more like yeah, like I, an event in the six. Like you were working on like the 60s. Events or, in the 60s yeah. or something. Yeah, I really. I mean, we did an entire section in high school on like Vietnam and like the 70s and the 60s and like. Yeah. yeah. So I, that makes sense. I remember. Um, when we hit that time period in history, my mom kind of freaking out about like, that's not history. I lived that. Well, now we're in it. And, so. na- and now I feel the same way when, when I hear kids talking about learning about like Reagan and Clinton in their history class. Or the internet being yeah. like, like which, AOL. Which <laughs> Which, in fairness, I feel a little less cringy about because I'm like, well, at least you're studying something in history. That's cool. At least you're learning. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) All I know is that a girl on my cast made the comment at my birthday party. And this is a girl I love. And, like, we uh, have very uh, kindred spirits. But she said, I was born after you graduated from high school. Yeah. I was... Night? No, I was 21 when she was born. Yeah. 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 It is, it's, um, it's weird to me that I've now spent more of my life post high school graduation. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, like that, 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 that messed me up a little I bit. I just turned that 40 and I turned, I graduated high school at 17. So yeah. 
You know what's really fun? Tell uh, tell someone of that generation, hey, I'm older than Google. It, it messes with them. Wait, was Google not around? No, it was, it was like Ask Jeeves and shit. What, what was the search engine? That we always use. Well, there were a there bunch of them really early on. There was Alta Vista. I didn't use that um, one. There was Ask Jeeves. Google was one of the early ones, but like Google came around well, yeah. in like in the, the mid late 90s. N- mid late nineties. Yeah, you're right. I don't remember when it like first popped up, but yeah. There was another one I used to use all the time. I can't even remember what it was now. Bing. Bing was one. <laughs> there was another one. Yahoo. Yahoo. That one just retired. Yahoo. <laughs> Yahoo Answers no longer exists. I don't. Did, has Yahoo completely collapsed? I think now? Yahoo's gone. Like I, I think most of those are gone. Bye bye. Mm. Gone by the wayside, just like X Tube porn. <laughs> 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 just you know, things you know get taken over. Actually, I found that out by like googling like something for this podcast, and it wasn't that like. Had to have been a decent amount of time ago, but I know that that was retired because I was looking up something about like dates and it was like all these things that had been retired from the inner, like the, the interwebs. And that was one of the ones that came <laughs> up and I went X tube hilarious. <laughs> it just went by the wayside because there were other sites and it just went away. I'm pretty sure at some point, Hey mom, you should probably stop listening for the next um, 45 seconds. <sighs> I'm pretty sure at some point I set up a Yahoo email address just so I could sign up for an Xtube account. Uh, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure all of us set up a like fakey email that actually was real but fakey, so yeah. we could you know look at porn like because I, we were did, curious. I, I, I didn't things. want it to be connected to like my my business well, email get, or like, any viruses of that. Viruses and yeah. shit. Like, and <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. no. I'm pretty sure. I'm yeah. I and it, I think it was even Xtube that was the one that I was just well, like. That was the really like that was the super free one. Like the super like. It was the one where you could find anything. It was and, sketchy yeah. and weird and like yeah. It's I, I yeah I. Oh, well, dear listeners, peace, a moment Yahoo of silence for Yahoo and Xtube. <laughs> Two great services of yesteryear that uh, we just don't need them anymore. You know what? I did not do research today on either of those because they don't exist anymore. <laughs> what do we do in this podcast? Uh, we do research on porn sites, apparently. Well, I mean, no, that just came up as a thing that had gone by the wayside. And, yeah. But, uh, so what we do on this podcast. But some of the things I Google for this podcast come up with some weird last week diction. Yeah. Don't Google dick chin when you're sitting at a pool with a bunch of families around you. <laughs> I went, I did not think it would go straight there. I thought, you know, it would be metaphorical, like, you know, la la. No, I straight up, there were just like penis drawings and a couple like actual penises. And I went, oh my God, I, I can't do this research here right now. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I'm gonna lose my job. <laughs> um. Yeah, but no. So what we do on this podcast is um, very rarely porn related. Mostly it's ancient history. Uh, well, not re- ancient. Not ancient. Ouch. I mean, it could be. We haven't done any like ancient Roman literature, but we could. I know it is stimulating material. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've stimulating. Read, I've read Lysistrata. Uh huh. Um. 
No, so what do we do? We uh, we read short stories that are mostly not ancient literature, but they're old enough to have entered the public domain. We look up strange words that we don't recognize, and we make a lot of penis jokes. If you haven't been scared off by the show thus far, though, you're probably safe. You'll be fine. <laughs> you'll make it. You'll be just fine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and we do these stories, reading them cold, completely sight unseen with no idea what is coming. And the way we do that is taking turns selecting them for the other person to read. And this week, Heather has a story for me to read. But before we jump into that, she's going to read just a few fun facts to sort of get us, uh, give us a little historical educational background or whatever into um, what it is we're reading. I love fun facts. Woo! Fun facts. <laughs> All right, so this week we are going to read an author that has been on my back burner like for basically, I'm trying to remember, we're not going to read the story that I still have on the back burner because it's too long. And that's why I've had it on the back burner because it sounds really interesting. Right. But it's like, oh, it's like almost 6,000 words. It might even so be longer than that. I can't even remember. Just a, it's, yeah. just, it's a little too long and I'm like, mm, no. So this week I've picked a different story by that author, but we have never used this author before. It's a brand new author. All right. Even though I feel like I started research on this guy like literally two years ago, but <laughs> you there don't are, know. There are a few of those. Yeah, there are. You know, we, we got to keep some in the back pocket. Yeah. So this week we will be reading a story by Stephen Crane. Ooh. Not uh, Ichabod Crane, but Stephen Crane. <laughs> um. He was born in, unfortunately, Newark, New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have to fly out of there. Yeah. In a couple of days. Are you flying out of Newark? You're I'm not flying, flying out of Newark. Uh, um, Queens? Nah, Newark was the cheapest flight. Uh, that's true. By, uh, by like 350 it bucks, It sure Newark probably was, was because that flight. airport is tragic. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we got Stephen Crane from Newark, New Jersey. Uh, but this was way back in 1871, so I don't think it was as trashy then. I don't know. <laughs> or it um, could have been worse. It, who knows? I don't think it had an international airport at that point, but. Probably not. No, 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 no. Uh, he was the ninth child of his parents um, to survive. So whatever that means, <laughs> like that's like, so maybe there were other kids that had passed that, away, like at childbirth yeah. and, you know, like uh, luckily his mother did not. So high, he exists. high infant mortality yeah, rate. It, was, it was that time. Yeah. Um, he started writing at four years old. So by the time he was 16, he'd actually been published several times. I could barely even speak it for. <laughs> yeah, I was reading it for like, I mean, not great. I wasn't reading like Stephen King novels, but like. Sea spot run. Yeah, I was, I was like, I was very advanced for my age and like reading, but I wasn't writing like that. Like, yeah. I don't feel like I, I could read. It was kind of like when you speak a foreign language, but that's I wonder what impressive. he was writing. Um, Maybe we'll find out. Let's find out. <laughs> uh, he attended Syracuse University, which still exists, so good for him. Uh, but since he'd already been published and was a professional, he just was like, this is a waste of my time. <laughs> Fair enough. So he spent a lot of time with his fraternity brothers. <laughs> so basically, he went to college to get drunk and continue to make money. So good on him, man. Great. <laughs> He was just trying to, like, get out those party years. I feel like he was, like, the Doogie Howser of his time, except for writing. <laughs> so, like, 
he was already working, but, you know, he still wanted to be a kid and have a good time. So. Sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. So in this week's episode, the part of Stephen Crane will be played by Neil Patrick Harris. I love it. That's that's amazing. He actually is pretty skinny and, like, I could see Neil Patrick Harris taking on this character. Yeah, with a little mustache action. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he left school at 20, so he didn't actually graduate. Um, I guess he'd had enough of his frat brothers. They probably had a little fight and break up. And, you know. As you do. Um, he worked as a reporter and a writer. And two years later, he wrote and published his first, like, collection, his first novel was uh, Maggie, A Girl of the Streets. I, I like to think that that is based on a real life experience. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> the girl he lost his virginity to or something. I don't know. Um, but ironically, well, not ironically, that's the wrong word, but it uh, generally is considered by critics to be the first work of American literary naturalism. Oh, so, uh, I'm very realistic, I guess. Yeah. So maybe I, I don't it, entirely maybe know what that it means. is porn. Maybe our, our pre, uh, story talking was actually more, uh, appropriate than we thought. <laughs> that often happens. Maggie, a girl of the street. Sure. Uh, it's just his, his sexual awakening. America's first erotica. Yeah. Well, that goes with last week's, which kind of wasn't erotica, but was very, uh, it was romantic. Steamy. It was hot. There was tension. Maggie, the cat. <laughs> hey, Maggie, the girl of the streets. Um, so that went well. Good for him. Great. Um, another two years later, Crane published his most famous work, which you may have heard of. It's called The Red Badge of Courage. Sure. That's uh, like Civil War. It's thing. all Civil War stories. Yeah. Um, and since he'd been a uh, reporter and a um, writer, he was it was very realistic and seemed to paint a very realistic picture of the Civil War. Cool. The. um. The thing I know most about the book, The Red Badge of Courage, is that it appears as a comment in the movie Camp Nowhere. <laughs> when the nerdy kid. Wow, throwback. The nerdy kid has this been asked. This is not asked, the first time we've brought this movie up on the podcast either. That's so entirely like, possible. Yeah. I believe you. But there's a, the, the nerdy kid is being bullied into writing book reports for the jocks. And he hands over the book report and he says, you read The Red Badge of Courage by Stephen Crane and analyzed its depiction of the Civil War. <laughs> it should be good enough for a C plus. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, that goes with our like Yahoo and all that stuff back yeah. in the day because that movie came out mid 90s yeah. like, or early 90s, actually. Early 90s. Um, Camp Nowhere. Brilliant. Uh, so Red Badge of Courage, it was acclaimed internationally for its depiction of the Civil War. And it was very impressive since Crane was born after the Civil War. So, so he clearly never fought in it. So he never fought <laughs> in it. But uh, I'm guessing he did lots of interviews and research and, you know, as yeah. a good writer does. Okay. So the next year, Crane, like many of our authors, became involved in a scandal. Because, you know. Shock. Just, there weren't any like perf like there weren't famous well there were famous actors at the time but there weren't like celebrities at the time so writers were the celebrities so they were the scandal so he was defending a friend in court who'd been accused of prostitution I don't know why he was defending his friend as a writer character get a, witness get a lawyer I don't know so he became in this he became a part of the scandal defending his friend in court he, you know how people talk, rumor mills going, rumor, he's like, I need a vacation. So he's like, I'm going to go to Cuba. Because 
Sure. I mean, this was before the Cuban Cuban Missile Crisis, not stuff. Long before. Cuban missiles. Yeah. So so he's like, I'm going to go to Florida. That was his first mistake. And (laughs) then he said he's going to sail to Cuba. It sounds like a nice tropical vacation. And then he's waiting to board, and he met a young woman named Cora, who would turn out to be his longest relationship ever. The ship to Cuba sank off the Florida coast. (laughs) And (laughs) so, so this is why you don't, it sounds like a boat that would happen in Cuba now. I mean, (laughs) I'm pretty sure we on this ship that I'm like recording on have actually like when my sister was on, we turned around to go get a boat. There was an empty. Yeah. I, I don't even think I told you this. No. We were running behind already for something. And all of a sudden, an announcement comes over the like loudspeaker. And it's like, hey, everyone, if you'll notice, there is a boat off, like, about 10 miles off our, like, starboard side. We're going to go investigate in case it's a vessel in distress, yada, yada. So I went to take a nap because I believe this is the night of a Broadway cabaret. A bunch of my castmates, because I was actually on the helipad when they made that announcement. I'm sitting there going, where, where? And I'm like, I can't see fucking 10 miles away where, where <laughs> for a dinghy. Like, what am I looking for? So I was like, I can't wait. I got to I want to go to sleep. But like Alexander and a bunch of my castmates have pictures of this like abandoned boat that said Cuba on it. <laughs> like and like there was no one there. I don't know where they went. I hope they're all OK. Um, but yeah, so like, just don't get in a boat that says Cuba on it, I think is it, or, or yeah, I mean, like it seems like it, it, they're cursed. Yeah. And yeah. Well, it's that, I mean, we, we have, we have a longstanding, yeah, uh, yeah. tradition now of the crossing between Cuba and Florida. Yeah, but being... this person left Florida and this and sunk on its way to Cuba. <laughs> I guess this is how it started. So, uh, so he, the boat sank, and Crane and the other passengers, including his girlfriend, hopefully, because um, if not, his longest relationship was about was eight like hours. six hours long. Good job. Uh, <laughs> um, they were stuck in a dinghy for thirty hours while they awaited rescue. That is like my nightmare. Good like, lord, is being stuck on one of the lifeboats on the ship for like a long period of time because they are crowded and people stink. Yep. <laughs> Literally and like figuratively, um, he so then he wrote one of his most famous short stories called "The Open Boat," which was about his time on the ship, on, which on is fun because we're on a <laughs> ship right now, um, and that ended up becoming a collection too. It was like "The Open Boat" and other stories, um, which is what our story is from. Um, he became friends with H.G. Wells and traveled the world with Cora, who is now considered the first woman war correspondent. Oh, cool. Unfortunately, financial hardship and poor health, like most writers, <laughs> took a toll. And at the age of 28, he died of tuberculosis in Germany. Jeez. But, okay, so he had four years of very strong career before he passed away. And he, in that time he published five novels, two volumes of poetry, three short story collections, two books on war stories and numerous works of short fiction and reporting. Jeez. So he was very Alexander Hamilton. It's like, uh, right. right, Like like you're running running out out of time. time. Like he just knew, I I guess after his death, HG Wells said that beyond dispute, Crane was the best writer of our generation, and his untimely death was an irreparable loss to literature. Yeah, one of those. So that's sad. 
So um, we lost him too early, as we do many people. Um, but now we're going to read one of these wonderful stories by one of the most prolific writers of his generation, which he died the year my great-grandmother was born. He died in 1900. My great-grandmother, wow. who I knew very well because she passed away when she was 100, um, she was born this year. So she's of that generation, I guess. Um Today you will be reading a sh short story from the collection, The Open Boat and Other Stories, and it is called The Pace of Youth. Ooh. Ooh, what's that mean? So, let's start this fire. But don't start too much of a fire, we'll get a code bravo in my room. I don't need that. <laughs> the Pace of Youth by Stephen Crane. Stimson stood in a corner and glowered. He was a fierce man and had indomitable whiskers, albeit he was very small. Yay, mustaches! <laughs> Big mustache, little dude. Didn't we just say that's what Stephen Crane looked like? It is what he looked like. Big mustache, little dude. Yeah. Yep. So he's written himself into the story. Well, he seems to be good at that. Let's, let's see what he thinks about himself. Okay, let's find <clears> out. That young terrier, he whispered to himself, he wants to quit making eyes at Lizzie. This is too much of a good thing. First thing you know, he'll get fired. Uh-oh. Sounds like drama and scandal right off the bat. Wait, so the guy with the mustache said this? To himself, yes. To himself? Stimson of the mustache. Oh, so he's a little jealous man. He's a little, <laughs> little jealous man. He's like, man. don't be making eyes at my woman. I can yeah. crush on her. <laughs> His brow creased in a frown. He strode over to the huge open doors and looked at the sign. Stimson's Mammoth Merry-Go-Round, it read, and the glory of it was great. Is that a euphemism? Yes. Climb on board, I'll take you for a spin, ladies or gentlemen. <laughs> I know. Stimson stood and contemplated the sign. It was an enormous affair. Well, this guy has a serious little man. Like, he's uh, he's compensating for some stuff. Yeah, yeah, why is everything so giant? <laughs> the letters were as large as men. The glow of it, the grandeur of it was very apparent to Stimson. At the end of his contemplation, he shook his head thoughtfully, determinedly. No, no, he muttered. This is too much of a good thing. First thing you know, he'll get fired. Oh, he's really concerned about this kid. Yeah. <laughs> a soft, booming sound of surf mingled with the cries of bathers came from the beach. Oh, I feel like we're at, like, the Jersey Shore right now. <laughs> definitely at the Jersey Shore. where he grew up. Yep. There was a vista of sand and sky and sea that drew to a mystic point far away in the northward. In the mighty angle, a girl in a red dress was crawling slowly like some kind of spider on a fabric of nature. Well, damn. <laughs> That's a sensual way to describe the, the, swimming, if, I assume. If I, I hope she was swimming. I, like, I'm like, whoa, not, what? she's wearing a red dress, though. Oh, hopefully she wasn't swimming. Hopefully she wasn't swimming, or she's drowning. <laughs> she's getting pulled down by a shark. That's, that's not good. So, uh... Yeah, I uh. hope someone ever describes me as someone crossing the room like a spider on the fabric of nature. I can't tell if that's horrifying or kind of sexy. Yeah, it's like Kiss of the Spider Woman situation. Yeah. It's like, is it scary or We're, is it hot? Yeah. <laughs> like, or is it just a little bit of both? 
<laughs> a great review of that play, by the way. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> a few flags hung lazily above where the bathhouses were marshaled in compact squares. Upon the edge of the sea stood a ship with its shadowy sails painted dimly upon the sky, and high overhead in the still sun-shot air a great hawk swung and drifted slowly. Thank you. We're that, once again doing real-time foley work. Foley work. <laughs> this time it's on me. <laughs> Within the merry-go-round, there was a whirling circle of ornamental lions, giraffes, camels, ponies, goats, glittering with varnish and metal that caught swift reflections from windows high above them. With stiff wooden... Oh, see, so it's like a... It's like a um carousel when i thought merry-go-round i was like wow this is a lot of hoopty hoop about some shit thing that's like drilled into oh. the ground on a playground yeah so <laughs> it's like a carousel yeah, yeah. do you Which know is, a, is that the original term for it do you know what the difference between a merry-go-round and a carousel is i don't carousel is only horses Oh. merry-go-round has chairs and lions it's and like griffins and all that yeah well, yeah, yeah. Like circus animals yeah I did not know a, that. A merry-go-round is can be anything else. A carousel is just horses. You know what's really creepy on the merry-go-rounds then that I've been on? Sometimes they have, like, cats you can ride on, but yeah. why are they the same size as, like, the fucking giraffes? Like, I'm like, what fucking cats are these? What have they been eating? What kind of nightmare landscape what are we riding around in a circle in? What nightmare <laughs> trash hole is this? <laughs> and then the music starts. It's like... There's a reason that... Is it... Um, is it uh, the Lost Boys, where the vampires all live in the carousel. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of scare. Like there's a scene in the movie The Net, which is funny because we were talking about old internet earlier, <laughs> where she's being chased by a guy with a gun and she's stuck on a carousel. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. real creepy. Carousels are terrifying. Well, there's mirrors everywhere too, which are said to like be portals for like the the unknown, the, the spiritual ghosts and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's. Bleh, bleh, bleh. We're going to put some creepy merry-go-round music underneath this, y'all. Yeah. Do you, have you ever seen on carousels where there there are the little brass rings that you can grab, and if you grab them, you're supposed to, like, win a free ticket to ride the carousel? No, I no. have never seen that. Uh, it's it's kind of a, it's it's an old thing okay. that you could do where it was like, yeah, if you grab the ring, you hook the ring, and you get a free ride Oh, like or with whatever. a lance? Well, that's where it came from. <laughs> okay. Because carousels are actually, uh, they, they evolved from... Practice like practice horses that you just spin in a circle and with a lance and you try to put your lance through a little ring. All right. Well, I'm gonna build a merry-go-round that still gets to lance shit. That sounds fun. <laughs> Uh, with stiff wooden legs, they swept, <laughs> they swept on in a never-ending race, while the great orchestrion clamored in wild speed. The summer sunlight sprinkled its gold, <laughs> golden sprinkle. Eh, this up, is so dirty without trying to be. The summer sunlight sprinkled its gold upon the garnet canopies carried by the tireless racers and upon all the devices of decoration that made Stimson's machine magnificent and famous. <laughs> you know, it's got uh, like stiff wood and uh, golden showers. So good for you, Stimson. The world's first porn star famous for his magnificent wooden machine. <laughs> wooden machine. Hey, I've been to the sex museum in New York. <laughs> there are some weird wooden machines there. I'm not going to lie. A host of laughing children. Oh, dear. Ah! <laughs> 
Ah, no. <laughs> a host of laughing children bestrode the animals, bending forward like charging cavalrymen and shaking reins and whooping in glee. At intervals, they leaned oh, the out perilously to clutch at iron rings that were tended oh. to them by long wooden arms. Well, there you go. <laughs> See? Look at you being all psychic <laughs> and uh, us being horrible people. Well, the innocence of childhood is this story. <laughs> this is that's the, so the ring thing is actually something I learned from one of the stories that I used to have to tell in historic Philadelphia. Oh, we told the story yeah, about I, the carousel that was in. I mean, it makes sense. I yeah. just never knew. At the intense moment before the swift grab for the rings, one could see their little nervous bodies quiver with eagerness. The laughter rang shrill and excited. Down in the long rows of benches, crowds of people sat watching the game while occasionally a father might arise and go near and shout encouragement, cautionary commands, or applause at his flying offspring. Oh no, Frequently, dad at the soccer match. <laughs> Frequently Look, mothers... Jimmy, do better! <laughs> Frequently, mothers called out, Be careful, Georgie! <laughs> yep. So, Don't yeah, bruise your knees! And the guy, Don't embarrass me, Jimmy! <laughs> Come on, do it harder! <laughs> Sorry. I'm done. Not that one. <laughs> <laughs> the orchestrion bellowed and thundered on its platform, filling the ears with the long, monotonous song. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Over in a corner, a man in a white apron and behind a counter roared above the tumult, Popcorn! Popcorn! Mmm, yummy. A young man stood upon a small raised platform erected in a manner of a pulpit. I'm trying not to make this filthy because there's children involved in this story. I didn't write it. <laughs> I didn't write it either. I just read erect. <laughs> And just without the line of the circling figures, it was his duty to manipulate the wooden arm and affix the rings. When all were gone into the hands of the triumphant children, he held forth a basket into which they returned all save the coveted brass one, which meant another ride free and made the holder very illustrious. Y'all, if you want to learn about history, you should check out Historical Philadelphia because apparently... <laughs> They teach you lots of cool shit. It, no, but really, if you're in the Philadelphia area between Memorial Day and Labor Day, just go walk around the historic district and go to the storytelling benches. You I can mean, learn some weird ass shit. You'll have some random fun facts yep. to just like throw at people <laughs> that then come up in a story because you know your shit. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's fun when my old job makes me feel like smart and not just like I yeah. wasted hours learning. Sometimes I products. have moments like that about grad school. <laughs> <laughs> the young man stood all day upon his narrow platform affixing rings or holding forth the basket. He was a sort of general squire in these lists of children. He was very busy. Yeah. He, he's he's like their he's the the carney's assistant. Yep. <laughs> And yet, Stimson, the astute, had noticed that the young man frequently found time to twist about on his platform and smile at a girl who shyly sold 
tickets behind a silvered netting. This indeed was the great reason of Stimson's glowering. It's like I hate love. The young man upon the raised platform had no manner of license to smile at the girl behind the silvered netting. It was a most gigantic insolence. Oh, damn. Either Stimson has a crush on this girl or it's his daughter or he got jilted real bad. Yeah, he's clearly got some baggage about this whole thing that's going on. Stimson was amazed by it. By Jiminy, he said to himself again, that fellow is smiling at my daughter. Oh my God, whoa. (laughs) Wow, we're both really psychic today. This is a good one. Oh shit, all right. (laughs) I'm feeling connected to this guy, all right. I'm real connected, yep. Even in this tone of great wrath, it could be discerned that Stimson was filled with wonder that any youth should dare smile at the daughter in the presence of the august father. Mm. Often, the dark-eyed girl peered between the shining wires, and upon being detected by the young man, she usually turned her head away quickly to prove to him that she was not interested. Oh, come on. At other times, however, her eyes seemed filled with a tender fear lest he should fall from that exceedingly dangerous platform. That would be a horrible way to die. You get trampled by (laughs) merry-go-round animals. (laughs) Damn. That's rough. Smashed to death by children trying to grab rings. Oh, my God. That's like, that is a horror. Like, I'm surprised Stephen King hasn't written that story. (laughs) Let's be real. Statistically, he probably has. Oh, yeah. Like, (laughs) it might not be one of his most famous ones, but it's probably out there. (laughs) As for the young man, it was plain that these glances filled him with valor. And he stood carelessly upon his perch as if he deemed it of no consequence that he might fall from it. In all the complexities of his daily life and duties, he found opportunity to gaze ardently at the vision behind the netting. Damn. This silent courtship was conducted over the heads of the crowd who thronged about the bright machine. The swift, eloquent glances of the young man went noiselessly and unseen with their message. There had finally become established between the two in this manner a subtle understanding and companionship. They communicated accurately all that they felt. The boy told his love, his reverence, his hope in the changes of the future. The girl told him that she loved him, that she did not love him, that she did not know if she loved him, (laughs) that she loved him. Wow. She's just sitting there picking uh, petals off a flower, apparently. (laughs) Either that or he's really bad at reading her signals. Or she doesn't know what she wants. Or she doesn't know. It depends on how clear his acne is on any given day. That's it. That's it. Or if he brushed his teeth. (laughs) Or if he brushed his teeth. Yeah, or if he... How's how's that teenage mustache coming in? Ooh, yeah. It's just kind of like the the gross little, like, just sides. Yeah. Yeah. That's not it. (laughs) I don't think I ever... Well, I certainly don't have any pictures with me sporting the The fruit mold. Yeah, the fruit mold. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) That's another bit, courtesy of Camp Nowhere. This week's episode of Campfire Classics brought to you by Camp Nowhere and ex-internet porn sites. Sometimes a little sign saying cashier in gold letters and hanging upon the silvered netting got directly in range and interfered with the tender message. 
The love affair had not continued without anger, unhappiness, despair. The girl had once smiled brightly upon a youth who came to buy some tickets for his little sister, and the young man upon the platform observing this smile had been filled with gloomy rage. Uh Uh-oh, he's jealous. He stood like a dark statue of vengeance upon his pedestal and thrust out the basket to the children with a gesture that was full of scorn for their hollow happiness. Happiness for their insecure and temporary joy. Wow, this guy is uh, 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 moody. Yeah. <laughs> for five hours, he did not once look at the girl when she was looking at him. He was going to crush her with his indifference. He was going to demonstrate that he had never been serious. However, when he narrowly observed her in secret, he discovered that she seemed more blithe than was usual with her. When he found that his apparent indifference had not crushed her, he suffered greatly. She did not love him, he concluded. If she had loved him, she would have been crushed. Or she's just like, dude, this guy's clingy. I never even (laughs) fucking talked to this bra. Like, I'm over it. I'm just doing my job over here selling tickets and smiling at people. (laughs) For two days, he lived a miserable existence upon his high perch. These people are definitely like 14 years old. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, this, is, is, this is some Romeo and Juliet th- shit. I was right just going to say, yeah. this is how Romeo and Juliet started. Yeah. Like, One glance at a distance, and it ends three days later in mutual dead. suicide. Yeah, they're both dead, trampled by the merry-go-round. <laughs> Oh, man, of all the stupid things to get jealous over. Yeah, I know. Hey, listener, what's the stupidest thing you ever got jealous over? Inquiring minds want to know. The stupidest thing? I don't even know. That's why I asked the listeners. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. They have time to type it up. <laughs> uh, miserable existence, high perch. He consoled himself by thinking of how unhappy he was and by swift, furtive glances at the loved face. At any rate, he was in her presence, and he could get a good view from his perch when there was no interference by the little sign, Cashier. (laughs) (laughs) That evil sign, Cashier. But suddenly, swiftly, these clouds vanished, and under the imperial blue sky of the restored confidence, they dwelt in peace, a peace that was satisfaction, a peace that, like a babe, put its trust in the treachery of the future. This confidence endured until the next day, when she, for an unknown cause, suddenly refused to look at him. Mechanically, he continued his task, his brain dazed, a tortured victim of doubt, fear, suspicion. With his eyes, he supplicated her to telegraph an explanation. She replied with a stony glance that froze his blood. There was a great difference in their respective reasons for becoming angry. His were always foolish, but apparent, plain as the moon. Hers were subtle, feminine, as incomprehensible as the stars, as mysterious as the shadows at night. That sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah. They fell and soared and fell in this manner until they knew that to live without each other would be a wandering in deserts. 
They had grown so intent upon the uncertainties, the variations, the guessings of their affair that the world had become but a huge immaterial background. In time of peace, their smiles were soft and prayerful, caresses confided to the air. In time of war, their youthful hearts, capable of profound agony, were wrung by the intricate emotions of doubt. They were the victims of the dread angel of affectionate speculation that forces the brain endlessly on roads that lead nowhere. Yeah, this is a toxic relationship. I don't, uh, I don't think it's going to end well for them. The thing is, I think it would be a toxic relationship in adults it's just a relationship if they're 14 yeah but they also i don't have they ever even talk to each other don't think so that's hilarious which makes it sound even more familiar to some of the quotey finger relationships i was on in early on yeah that's very true that's very i I think the extent of the relationship was will you be my girlfriend okay at night The problem of whether she loved him confronted the young man like a specter looming as high as a hill and telling him not to delude himself. Upon the following day, this battle of the night displayed itself in the renewed fervor of his glances and in their increased number. Whenever he thought he could detect that she too was suffering, he felt a thrill of joy. Healthy. Yeah... But there came a time when the young man looked back upon these contortions with contempt. He believed then that he had imagined his pain. This came about when the redoubtable Stimson marched forward to participate. Oh, daddy about to be like, I'm fucking done with this. (laughs) This has got to stop, Stimson had said to himself as he stood and watched them. They had grown careless of the light world that clattered about them. They were become so engrossed in their personal drama that the language of their eyes was almost as obvious as gestures. And Stimson, through his keenness, his wonderful, infallible penetration, suddenly came into possession of these obvious facts. Well, of all the nerves, he said, regarding with a new interest the young man upon the perch. He was a resolute man. He never hesitated to grapple with a crisis. He decided to overturn everything at once, for although small, he was very fierce and impetuous. He resolved to crush this dreaming. Carnies, small hands, (laughs) smell like cabbage. (laughs) That's from Austin Powers. (laughs) He said he was small but resolute. (laughs) Small hands, smells like cabbage. (laughs) He strove over to the silvered netting. Say, you want to quit your everlasting grinning at that idiot, he said grimly. (laughs) The girl cast down her eyes and made a little heap of quarters into a stack. She was unable to withstand the terrible scrutiny of her small and fierce father. Stimson turned from his daughter and went to a spot beneath the platform. He fixed his eyes upon the young man and said, I've been speaking to Lizzie. You better attend strictly to your own business or there'll be a new man here next week. Oh, damn. Okay, we got a name. Lizzie. Lizzie. Lizzie Stimson. Lizzie Stimson. (laughs) Lisa Simpson. Yep. Very close. (laughs) Very, very close. 
It was as if he had blazed away with a shotgun. The young man reeled upon his perch. At last, he, in a measure, regained his composure and managed to stammer, Uh, uh, all all right, sir. (laughs) He knew that denials would be futile with the terrible Stimson. He agitatedly began to rattle the rings in the basket and pretended that he was obliged to count them or inspect them in some way. He, too, was unable to face the great Stimson. For a moment... Stimson stood in fine satisfaction and gloated over the effect of his threat. "'I've fixed them,' he said complacently, and went out to smoke a cigar and revel in himself. Through his mind went the proud reflection that people who came in contact with his granite will usually ended in quick and abject submission. All right. Stimson ain't so smart because he should know this from his youth, but if mommy and daddy say no, that probably means you're going to want it more. Yep. So he just, he, he just said. As we move into part two of this story, yes. I imagine that is a lesson. He will be learning. He will be learning very soon. One evening, a week after Stimson had indulged in the proud reflection that people who come in contact with his granite will usually ended in quick and abject submission. (laughs) I hope he just walks around and repeats that to his head in his head. He's like, My granite will will keep people in submission. You know, I was thinking to myself the other day that people who come in contact with my granite will usually end in abject submission. Yes. Puff, puff, cigar. Puff, puff. <laughs> Twist of the... What What was it? The enormous mustache? The, enormous the huge mustache, mustache on the that, tiny man? Yeah. That reeks of cabbage? That yeah. reeks of cabbage. <laughs> and is clearly compensating for things with, with his, his huge lettering. Huge lettering and mammoth merry-go-round. Uh, anyway, so he's reveling in yeah. in abject submission. A young feminine friend of the girl behind the silver netting came to her there and asked her to walk on the beach after Stimson's mammoth merry-go-round <laughs> was closed for the night. The girl assented with a nod. Uh-oh. The young man upon the perch holding the ring saw this nod and judged its meaning. Into his mind came an idea of defeating the watchfulness of the redoubtable Stimson. He's gonna go for a walk on the beach and just happen to run into Lizzie and a friend and he's gonna get crazy. <laughs> I don't know why you jumped to that. I definitely never, ever as a youth went out of my way to, to just happen to be where yeah. some pretty girl might be walking yeah, never. on the beach or at the mall. I never or... did that either. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be weird. That'd be like creepy and stalky. Uh... <laughs> It's not stalkerish if they like you back. Exactly. <laughs> when the merry-go-round was closed and the two girls started for the beach, he wandered off aimlessly in another direction. I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but he kept them in view, and as soon as he was assured that he had escaped the vigilance of Stimson, he followed them. The electric lights on the beach made a broad band of tremoring light extending parallel to the sea, and upon the wide walk there slowly paraded a great crowd, intermingling, intertwining, sometimes colliding. 
In the darkness stretched the vast purple expanse of the ocean, and the deep indigo sky above was peopled with yellow stars. Occasionally, out upon the water, a whirling mass of froth suddenly flashed into view, like a great ghostly robe appearing, and then vanished, leaving the sea in its darkness, from whence came those base tones of the water's unknown emotion. A wind, cool, reminiscent of the waves' wastes, made the women hold their wraps about their throats and caused the men to grip the rims of their straw hats. It carried a noise of the band in the pavilion in gusts. Sometimes people, unable to hear the music, glanced up at the pavilion and were reassured upon beholding the distant leader still gesticulating and bobbing, and other members of the band with their lips to their instruments. High in the sky soared an unassuming moon, faintly silver. Pretty. For a time, the young man was afraid to approach the two girls. He followed them at a distance and called himself a coward. That's some good self-talk yeah. there. Yeah, at- <laughs> talk yourself up there, buddy. <laughs> at last, however, he saw them stop on the outer edge of the crowd and stand silently listening to the voices of the sea. When he came to where they stood, he was trembling in his agitation. They had not seen him. Lizzie, he began. I, the girl, wheeled instantly and put her hand to her throat. Oh, Frank, how you frightened me, she said, inevitably. Well, you know, I, 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 he stuttered. (laughs) But the other girl was one of those beings who are born to attend at tragedies. She had for love a reverence, an admiration that was greater the more that she contemplated the fact that she knew nothing of it. (laughs) This couple, with their emotions, awed her and made her humbly wish that she might be destined to be of some service to them. She was very homely. Oh, no! She's she's the the ugly ugly friend. friend. Oh, no! Hey, Frank, go find a friend. Yeah, you've got to have Go some find weird a friend for friends. her friend. You got some weird you carny work at friends a like, at the like popcorn stand or some shit. Oh yeah, there was that guy selling yeah, popcorn earlier. What the hell? When the young man faltered before them, she in her sympathy actually overestimated the crisis and felt that he might fall dying at their feet. Shyly but with courage, she marched to the rescue. Won't you come and walk on the beach with us? she said. Yes, wing woman. <laughs> the young woman gave her a glance of deep gratitude, which was not without the patronage which a man in his condition naturally feels for one who pities it. <laughs> the three walked on. Finally, being finally, the being who was born to attend at this tragedy said that she wished to sit down and gaze at the sea. Alone. What a good little wing woman this hey, young she's woman is. It. She's like, mm, you want to come walk with us? Okay. Uh, oh, oh, uh, uh, I gotta go um, wash my hair. Um, <laughs> they politely urged her to walk on with them, but she was obstinate. She wished to gaze at the sea. Alone. <laughs> the Bye. young man swore to himself that he would be her friend until he died. Damn right. <laughs> And so the two young lovers went on without her. They turned once to look at her. Jeannie's awful nice, said the girl. 
You bet she is, replied the young man ardently. She can be in the wedding. (laughs) They were silent for a little time. At last, the girl said, You were angry at me yesterday. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were too. You wouldn't look at me once all day. No, I I wasn't angry. I was only putting on. Also, your dad basically told me he'd castrate me if I looked at you again. So, you know, there's that too. (laughs) Though she had, of course, known it, this confession seemed to make her very indignant. She flashed a resentful glance at him. Oh, were you indeed, she said with a great air. (laughs) This is going well. For a few minutes, she was so haughty with him that he loved her to madness. (laughs) No. And directly, this poem, which stuck at his lips, came forth lamely in fragments. I'm so excited. When they walked back toward the other girl and saw the patience of her attitude, their hearts swelled in a patronizing and secondary tenderness for her. Third wheel, third wheel. They were very happy. If they had been miserable, they would have charged this fairy scene of the night with a criminal heartlessness. But as they were joyous and vaguely wondered how the purple sea, the yellow stars, the changing crowds under the electric lights could be so phlegmatic and stolid, (laughs) they walked home by the lakeside way. And out upon the water, those gay paper lanterns flashing, fleeting, and career... Oh, they're at Fire Island. Fun. (laughs) (laughs) And out upon the water, those gay paper lanterns flashing, fleeting, and careering, sang to them, sang a chorus of red and violet and green and gold, a song of mystic bands of the future. See? Roses are red, violets are blue. We're on Fire Island. Let's get naked, too. (laughs) That one, I really like. I'm on a roll, everybody. Also, apparently they can hear colors. That's so, really cool. So they, I'm just guessing they're on acid. Oh, I hope they're dripping acid. <laughs> I hope the whole story is just an acid trip and he wakes up because he got knocked in the head with one of the rings. One of those rings just clunk. He, he imagines the whole thing. <laughs> One day, when business paused during a dull, sultry afternoon, Stimson went uptown. Upon his return, he found that the popcorn man from his stand over in the corner was keeping an eye upon the cashier's cage Uh and that nobody at all was attending to the wooden arm and the iron rings. He strode forward like a sergeant of grenadiers. Where in thunder is Lizzie? He demanded, a cloud of rage in his eyes. The popcorn man, although associated long with Stimson, had never got over being dazed. <laughs> so he's high. <laughs> they've, uh, they've gone round to the, the house, he said with difficulty, as if he had just been stunned. Whose house? Snapped oh, Stimson. Your, your, your house, I suppose, said the popcorn man. Oh, no. Stimson marched round to his home. Kingly denunciations surged, already formulated to the tip of his tongue, and he bided the moment when his anger could fall upon the heads of that pair of children. He found his wife convulsive and in tears. Oh, no. Where's Lizzie? And then she burst forth. Oh, John. John. So we finally have his name. Okay. John, they've run away. They've eloped. I know they 
have. They drove by here not three minutes ago. They must have done it on purpose to bid me goodbye. For Lizzie waved her hand, sad-like, and then, before I could get out to ask where they were going or what, Frank whipped up the horse. Stimson gave vent to a dreadful roar. Get my revolver. Oh, shit. Get a hack. Get my revolver, do you hear? What the devil? His voice became incoherent. Oh, my God. Dad's overreacting. Yep. <laughs> he had always ordered his wife about as if she were a battalion of infantry, and despite her misery, the training of years forced her to spring mechanically to obey. But suddenly, she turned to him with a shrill appeal. Oh, John! Confound it! Let go of me! He roared again and shook her from him. He ran hatless upon the street. Not hatless? Yep. Damn! This is nasty. There were a multitude of hacks in the summer resort, but it was ages to him before he could find one. Then he charged it like a bull. Uptown! He yelled as he tumbled into the rear seat. I love that he just got in the back of this taxi with a fucking revolver and said, Uptown. It's like, follow that car. Drive north. Yeah, what the fuck? The hackman thought of severed arteries. His galloping horse distanced a number of citizens who had been running to find what had caused such contortions by this little hatless man. (laughs) He's still hatless? Still hatless. That's nasty. Just indecent. It chanced as the bouncing hack went along near the lake, Stimson gazed across the calm gray expanse and recognized a color in a bonnet and a pose of a head. A buggy was traveling along a highway that led to Sorrington. Stimson bellowed, There! There they, there they are! In that buggy! <laughs> The hackman became inspired with full knowledge of the situation. He struck a delirious blow with the whip. His mouth expanded in a grin of excitement and joy. It came to pass that this old vehicle, with its drowsy little horse and its dusty-eyed and tranquil driver, seemed suddenly to awaken, to become animated and fleet. You gotta think that it is the dream of any taxi driver to have someone jump in the back seat of their car and say, follow that BMW. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, are you serious? <laughs> All right, let's do this. The horse ceased to ruminate on his state. His air of reflection vanished. He became intent upon his aged legs and spread them in quaint and ridiculous devices for speed. The driver, his eyes shining, sat critically in his seat. He watched each motion of this rattling machine down before him. He resembled an engineer. He used the whip with judgment and deliberation as the engineer would have used coal or oil. The horse clacked swiftly upon the road. The wheels hummed. The body of the vehicle wheezed and groaned. Stimson in the rear seat was erect in that impassive <laughs> attitude. Why is he so turned on by this? He just he's, he lives for the chase. Yeah, okay, that's fair. You know. His, his, 
his uh, monstronomous merry-go-round is uh, very excited about this. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He just, he lives for the chase. He lives for the chase. Yes. So erect in that impassive attitude that comes sometimes to the furious man when he is obliged to leave the battle to others. Frequently, however, the tempest in his breast came to his face and he howled. Go it! Go it! You're gaining! Pound him! Pound Thump him? the life out of him! Jesus. Hit him hard, you fool! Whoa, whoa, whoa! Whoa, this is whoa. animal abuse. This is mean. You dick. Twat knocker. <laughs> His hand grasped the rod that supported the carriage top. Wow. The rod is supporting the carriage top. He is really erect. Yeah, he is. Um, and apparently he is mo- monstronomously yeah. mas- masterful <laughs> m- merry around. And it was clenched so that the nails were faintly blue. Ooh, blue balls. Ouch. Ahead, that other carriage had been flying with speed as from realization of the menace in the rear. It bowled away rapidly, drawn by the eager spirit of a young and modern horse. Stimson could see the buggy top bobbing, bobbing. That little pain, like an eye, was a derision to him. Once he leaned forward and bawled angry sentences, he began to feel impotent. His whole expedition was a tottering of an old man upon a trail of birds. A sense of age made him choke again with wrath. That other vehicle, that was youth, with youth's pace. Hey, it's a title of the story. It was swift flying with the hopes of dreams. He began to comprehend. Yeah, he just old and cranky. Yeah. He began to comprehend those two children ahead of him, and he knew a sudden and strange awe because he understood the power of their young blood, the power to fly strongly into the future and feel and hope again, even at that time when his bones must be laid in the earth. The dust rose easily from the hot road and stifled the nostrils of Stimson. The highway vanished far away, in a point with a suggestion of intolerable length. The other vehicle was becoming so small that Stimson could no longer see the derisive eye. At last the hackman drew rein on his horse and turned to look at Stimson. No use, I guess. (laughs) Stimson made a gesture of acquiescence, rage, despair. As the hackman turned his dripping horse about, Stimson sank back with the astonishment and grief of a man who had been defied by the universe. He had been in a great perspiration, and now his bald head felt cool and uncomfortable. He put up his hand with a sudden recollection that he had forgotten his hat. At last, he made a gesture. It meant that, at any rate, he was not responsible. The end. That's it? They got away? I'm they got guess, away. I'm going to guess that relationship did not go. I, I want to hear. I want I want uh, um, the, the, the Pace of Youth uh, Part 2. The Pace of Youth 2. The Pace of Middle Age. The, 
the pace of realization that we don't actually know anything about each other, but the sex was great. Yeah. <laughs> they got married, and for three weeks, they lived in perfect bliss. But they kept fighting about each of them looking at each other weirdly, because that's what their relationship was based on. Every time he went to work and saw her smile at a customer, which is her fucking job, mm -hmm. he turned into an unbearable dick. And eventually he had an affair with the homely friend. <laughs> <laughs> and who, Lizzie ran away with the popcorn man. Who in reality was the only woman who had actually ever been nice to him. Let's be real. Yep. See? That's actually, that sounds like a much healthier relationship. Oh, absolutely. fucking <laughs> You know what? They, what? What's the what's the old song? It's a horrible song, but it's very funny. It's like, if you want to be happy, happy for, for the rest, rest of your life, life never make a pretty woman your wife. wife. Then from my personal point, point of view, get, get an, an ugly, ugly girl, girl to marry you. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 Because he's going to be miserable forever, one, because he's a jealous motherfucker, yeah. but she's also very... Um, uh, coy about she's like oh did you so then she gets off on like yeah being sassy and so like mm, yeah I'm yes it's gonna, gonna be a rough one i'm gonna guess it's not be great I, i'm gonna guess she's gonna show up back at the carnival in about a month and be like yeah dad i'm sorry <laughs> they make it as far as atlantic city yep uh decide wow that is a weekend that i am never going to forget because now I pee fire and now uh, I pee fire a a STDs. Oh my God. They both got syphilis. Yeah. That's uh, where'd they get syphilis from <laughs> the hooker. They invited to be their third when after six days of living together, it just, all the fire was gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That was, that's, that, they, well, I mean, Romeo and Juliet only had three and they yeah. just decided to die. And they so. just decided to kill themselves. So, you know, so, so slightly healthier. So six days is like, woo, yeah, yeah. get it. Call Rosalind up. She'll get involved. Yeah. That's cool. I was like. <laughs> call, I mean, call the homely friend. Oh, I'm sure she, she's ready to third wheel anytime. Yeah. She's, yeah. You know she'd have a good time. She's like, woo, woo, I'll, I'll play. Yeah. Sure. Anything to help my friends. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was super excited to, to just help their love. Yeah. So if I'm that's sure what it she takes, help their love and help her love a little bit too. Yeah, which is why he runs away with the homely friend eventually. Yeah, because he's like, oh, she's much more my type. <laughs> not because she's homely, but because she's not. He won't be as jealous, right? And she's uh, and and he won't uh, and she won't be as like. She'll uh, just say what's on her mind. I mean, yeah, she because she says what's on her mind. Yep. The other two are just like. We're just going to creepily smile at each other for months. And then the first thing I say to you is, Lizzie? Lizzie! <laughs> hey, Lizzie, your dad scares me. Can we run away? Can we get a horse and run away? I want to touch your nibble bibbles <laughs> I don't know why I just called boobs nibble bibbles nibble bibbles Never said that in my life. Could not probably repeat what I just said, but that was it. <laughs> well, that was a fun little story. It was cute. That was very cute. Yeah. That was, uh, and they won. They got away. Yeah. So good for them. The Pace of Youth by Stephen Crane. And it was a good story for the, the uh, week I turned 40 because I feel the pace of youth slowing very fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, listener, what do you think of the pace of youth? Do you remember what it's like? Are you still feeling what it's like? Or 
was this story a little bit of a reminder of what the pace of youth is like for good and for bad? Because Lord knows there are things about that pace that you could not pay me enough to go back really to. Really exciting, but really fleeting and really like tumultuous. Yes. Yeah. It's all I, is what I remember. Yes. Yeah. Um, so please write in and tell us your memories about the pace of youth and like how you felt about it. Your fleeting love affairs of youth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And your weirdest bathroom experience. And there was a third one. I don't there remember. There was a third one. The bathroom experience, I told them to email you. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was another one. Well, whatever it is you want to talk to us about, go ahead and message us on any of our social medias. Just look for Campfire Classics Podcast. Or shoot us an email at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. That's 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. And when you send in that message, please include this week's passcode, which is nibblybibble. Nibbly Bibble. I don't know how you spell that. I don't either. So Please you can make it up. Be creative. Be creative Use with your Nibbly Bibbles. Creative spelling. Yes. We love was it. was one of my favorite classes in high school. Creative uh, spelling. I still practice creative <laughs> spelling and I am long 23 years out of high school. So. <laughs> Anything else to share before we leave? No, I think that was it. That, all was, right. that was lovely. Then until next time, this has been Campfire Classics where we always Nibbly Bibble. Nibbly Bibble. Round on the merry-go-round, nibbly bibble on the merry. Pretty sure nibbly bibble on the merry-go-round is illegal. <laughs> <laughs>